0: Hello, welcome to the QAV podcast. My name's Cameron Riley. If this is your first time, welcome. What we normally do on this show is I chat with my mate Tony Kynaston, based in Sydney. He's a very successful share investor, and he talks about how he gets the returns that he gets. But from time to time, we like to have guests on, and this is one of those instances. Our guest today is another old friend of mine, Bill Liao. Bill was one of Australia's first successful tech entrepreneurs back in the 90s. He'll talk about that on the show. These days, he's based in Ireland, where he is a partner in a venture capital firm called SOS Ventures, specializes in, Bill, this is specializes in their investments in the life, sciences, biotech, that kind of stuff. So we'll talk about that. But I invited Bill on because if you've heard the show before, you know that Tony struggles uh, to figure out, as a value investor, how he should determine the intrinsic value of high-growth tech stocks. And so, as that's what venture capitalists tend to do, is invest in those sorts of businesses very, very early on, I thought I'd see if Bill could help us uh, share with us his thinking about how to uh, pick the winners from the losers and you know what makes a good investment in a company like that. We also... Talk about uh, his uh, philanthropic efforts over the last 20 years. He does a lot of impressive stuff in that regard and the, the value of having a purpose that drives your investing and your life. So with that, let me throw to the interview uh, where Bill starts off by uh, talking about the colour my hair has gone since the last time we spoke.
1: You're, you've gone all white.
0: I have gone all white, yes. Thank you for noticing.
1: That's that's as that's well you noticed my beard.
2: So. <laughs> um, I thought we dialed into the local uh, Iman then. The, the local Moscow. Uh, uh, Asamalakum <laughs> <laughs> brothers. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Tony, Bill, Bill, Tony. Now, Bill. I don't, Hello. you guys I don't think know each other, but um, way no. back in the dawn of TPN, mm you were some of the first guys that were supporting the show and and supported it financially i think in the gfc when it all fell over yeah. so um you guys have both have a special place in my heart <laughs> oh, that's that's nice <laughs> and bill once yeah. uh, sent hunter and taylor a millennium falcon lego set which they have since passed on to my youngest son fox who's now 6 and he loves playing with that so that's got a lot of use in our family, Bill. Oh, good. Sturdy person. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> uh, so basically, Bill, I just thought um, I would, you know, essentially, as I said in my email, uh, Tony's uh professional investor, share investor, been very successful. So we've been doing this podcast for the last year and a half, uh, sort of teaching his System in his thinking about investing but, but tony 's a um, a buffety value investing type guy. We only invest in yeah. really, really boring shit that we think is undervalued uh, and so we steer clear of all of the tech stocks because, as Tony says, he can 't figure out how to value them and uh you know one of the things we've said over the last eighteen months is well venture capitalists, people who invest in startup tech must. Have a model or a way of doing it. And then I thought, well, I should reach out to a couple of these guys that I know uh, and see if they'll come on and talk to us just about their thinking about how you value a tech company. But before we get into that, I really want to get uh, sort of a a little bit of a better understanding and a refresher on your background, what you did here, how you ended up there, and then what you do there. We talk about WeForest and then SOSV. And um, then we can get into the investing stuff, I guess, if that sounds okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, ask the way, however you want to play it. Great. <laughs> Are you okay if I take that as a running uh, order, Tony? Yeah, no, sounds good. Sounds good. I'll, I'll
2: chip in if I need okay. to. Okay.
0: So, Bill, my <laughs> recollection is that you were one of Australia's earliest and most successful tech entrepreneurs back in the late 90s early 2000s can you remind me what it was what 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 your businesses back then were
1: so we we had this thing called davnet um which was a, a telco uh and it was the first telco that was entirely digital so we were a bit ahead of our time but we had massive sales growth and uh a kind of meteoric rise we did like the first reverse takeover on the asx of a tech stock of a mining mm-hmm. stock um and and i think we had the fastest capital appreciation of any stock in in asx history um and, and then the one thing that i'm happy about because I, I left both the company and the country in like 99 um and at the time that i left we'd just done a big deal with ntt and things were going pretty well it was pre-crash um and even after the crash the the, the stock never traded below issue price. So at least, you know, those people that I sold the stock on personally, you know, didn't lose a bundle. Um, but in that crash, I mean, everybody, including myself, we all lost money. Mm. And then I went to, uh, I went to, to, to Switzerland. I lived in Switzerland for eight years. And at that time I, I started up uh, a social network competitor to linkedin called zing
0: that's right and
1: uh we we took that public on the frankfurt stock exchange and we got to a two billion euro market cap um and uh, that's still live and kicking and doing well although i'm long gone um i moved to ireland after that
0: and how long have you been in ireland
1: long enough to become irish so i got my irish citizenship last year (laughs) um and uh, i joined uh, sosv in 2011 and uh, i founded the life science practice at sosv we we started an accelerator program for life science startups and uh, we're actually now the highest volume life science investors in the world so wow. last christmas just before covid we we you know finished our, our most recent raise and, uh, we now have, uh, I think it's a, about 700 million under management.
0: Wow. Now I, before we get into SOSV, I seem to remember you were going to plant uh, like a billion trees around the world. You were telling me this 15 years ago, yeah. how, how we had to plant a billion trees in order to suck carbon out of the atmosphere, carbon sequestration. Yep. I think the term is, yep. um, for climate change, blah, et cetera, et cetera, uh, what happened? How's that going? We Forest, was that what it was called? Yeah,
1: Wee Forest is still alive and kicking. Um, actually, I committed not to fly until we planted two trillion trees, but I gave that up because I would die before get um, and, uh, I get on a plane again. And I changed that to 100 million because uh, I thought that was it's worth having an achievable stretch goal. We've planted 30 million, uh, but we're very close to getting the full 100 million finance. So uh, it's looking like I'll be able to fly again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, that it, one of the things that impressed me about that was it was, uh, you know, you were a tech entrepreneur who'd made a lot of money, but was devoting at least some of your time and energy and money to trying to do something good the world social entrepreneurial mm-hmm. social, social entrepreneurism yeah entrepreneurial Entreprene, I- entrepreneurship I- it's, it's, <laughs> there you go there's it's been a long day um that's still relatively unusual thing to see maybe you see more of it than i do though i mean i'm familiar with the sort of things the gates and and buffett are doing but you know, how does it feel to be a social entrepreneur? Is that is that a lonely place to be, or do you have lots of colleagues that are trying to make the world a better place?
1: Uh, I'd say that there's more and more. Um, there's a, a recent initiative called the Founders Pledge, where founders will pledge. Um, you know, if they if they make it big, they'll pledge a, a fair bit of cash. Um, they've just developed the VC Pledge, and I'm I'm actually in the process of going through the process of figuring that out right now um even despite that uh though or alongside that not only did i found we forest and and that's going great guns and and you know we're lifting millions of, of village women out of poverty by allowing them to create their own food forests uh, but i also co-founded coda dojo which is now the largest organization for kids learning to code for free in mm-hmm. the world um, I'm uh, chair of the Social Tech Trust in the UK, where we we actually give grants to uh, tech startups that just do good. Like they 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 might be for profit, but they're they're socially um, aware and do social good. So there's a lot going on that that uh, you know in the space where people are realizing that a life without purpose is is somewhat meaningless. And uh, you know, yeah. you, you can have all the toys and all the wealth in the world, and it doesn't actually make you happy necessarily. Um, mm-hmm. uh, in, in fact, they, the studies show that the happiest people are the ones that actually have a purpose and, and earn just enough money such that they are, you know, they, they don't have to worry about, you know, bills or borrowing. Like if you could be, mm-hmm. if, if you mm-hmm. if you get enough cash that you you can basically, you know, cover the, cover the mortgage and and live a reasonable life. That's, that's mm. actually your, your, your number one happy spot. And if you can actually, aside from, if you don't have a mortgage, like, like if you, you mm. know, the, the only upgrade mm. on that and happiness is no mortgage.
0: Mm. Well, I'm, I, I hope to get there one day. <laughs> um, So, so uh, uh, tell us a little yeah. bit about the life sciences thing then with SOSV. Mm-hmm. So it, can you explain for those of us that, don't keep up with these things, what, you know, what a life sciences is all about?
1: Well, it's biotechnology, life sciences, uh, medical devices. Is there anything to do with things that are alive that are, can be useful? Uh, so one of the first companies that, that uh, went through our accelerator program in Cork in 2014 was a company called Move Free. and they have now become Perfect Day. Uh, and they recently raised like 150 million on a 300 million valuation in the Valley. And what they're doing is they have hacked yeast so that instead of producing alcohol, it produces milk proteins. And uh, their milk proteins are non-GMO, non yeah, they're perfectly normal milk proteins except they don't have any lactose. And instead of taking 27 liters of of water and, and an enormous amount of methane to make a liter of milk. You know, it's like 1.5 liters per liter. It's ridiculously efficient. And uh, their milk protein is is completely vegan because nothing is, no no cruelty happens in, in its production. And they are selling their proteins already into like three, I think, different ice cream brands that you can already buy vegan ice cream that actually is real dairy ice cream, but it's never seen the inside of a cow.
0: Wow. And are you doing anything in the uh, COVID space?
1: Yeah, uh, we have a couple of companies. Uh, we have Chronomics, which has developed a uh, rapid saliva test, so you don't have to have a, a cotton bud up your nose. Uh, we have Prelis Biologics that make uh, antibodies, um, similar to what uh, President Trump was recently given by Regeneron, a massive dose of antibodies. Um, you know, it's like... Uh, yeah, COVID's not a problem. You just uh, jump into your helicopter out the back, fly to the world's top medical centre, get uh, you know conservatively seven to eight million dollars worth of antibody therapy given to you for free, um, <laughs> and and you'll be fine. Don't don't fear it at all.
2: And, and possibly get put on a ventilator while your body double. Yeah. Goes back <laughs> <and
0: away. laughs> can you can you imagine being Trump's body double? What a what an embarrassing job that must have been. I don't know,
1: it'd be a lot of fun packing in all those cheeseburgers. <laughs>
0: that's, that's why Melania never mm. wants to hold his hand. She's like, I don't know who you are and I'm not holding <laughs> your hand. Yeah. Don't touch me. <laughs> um,
2: well, that's, that's how he could fly in the helicopter and drive in the uh, beast. Mm. And uh, not infect yeah, people because
0: it wasn't yeah. him. It was someone wearing a mask. Trump, <laughs> if, if, the real Trump is dead. If you if you looked
1: in the if you looked in the front window of that, uh, S, that Secret Service SUV, that, that was a very nervous Secret Service driver. <laughs> 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 he was in full PPE. I mean, we're not just talking like, you know, a, a surgical mask. You could see him. He was the N ninety five, he was sweating.
0: <laughs> he was in a Haskem suit. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah basically. Just not taking any chances. Yeah. Only before we, um, before we get into valuing stuff, is there anything uh, you want to ask Bill based on the
2: preamble? Well, I'm, I'm sorry, Bill. I didn't realise you were in Ireland. I was over there last year oh. uh, around the middle of the year. Oh. Could have dropped in and, and said hello, Yeah, you could have. Yeah, it's
0: yeah. going to be a
1: while before that's going to happen again though, isn't
2: it? I know. I know. That's, that's a problem. So the We Forest charity, uh, I know every time, but I still do fly, and every time I fly I tick the carbon credit option and, and spend you know five bucks on which supposedly goes to planting trees have you hooked into that kind of uh, income stream yet from the airlines uh
1: so a little bit not much most of the airlines don't do proper offsetting um they just trade the credit so it's like right. eh. um, there are some that have approached us though that we that, that you know before covid we were talking to but of course now in covid times everybody's like <laughs> the airline? What airline industry? You know, um, yeah. it's disappointing to me because, like, and what you can do is just go to weforest. dot org and just, you know, put five dollars into any of our projects and that'll buy you a tree and that's one ton of CO two and that'll last you for a couple of flights.
0: Yeah, and then right. and,
1: and then and then you know that there's actually a village woman being lifted out of poverty when you do it.
2: Right. Well, now you're now you're guilting me into going to your website.
1: <laughs> don't, don't hopefully you not. Hope, hopefully not just you, mate. <laughs>
2: You need to you need to put a uh, it's like that old uh, uh, national lampoon cover. You got a you got a gun to a woman's head, saying unless you donate to this charity, I'll pull the trigger. <laughs>
1: yeah, unfortunately, some bastard already pulled the trigger. All right, we're just we're just trying to help help the whole of humanity duck.
2: Yeah, yeah. Hey, so what's uh, just a general question? What what do you find easier or harder, running the charities or running the uh, the VCs, the startups?
1: Uh, I can't, uh, n- eh. so running a, time start- consuming? <laughs> running a startup is the hardest thing in the world. Uh, whether it's a charity or whether it's a normal startup doesn't really matter. And I've done, you know, multiple globally successful startups. Each one has, you know, just been a hundred percent effort for a couple of years. Like it's, it's just incredibly difficult. Um, So it is marginally easier being a VC investing in startups than actually running your own. Um, the the beautiful part about where I am right now is that most of the the charities that I'm involved in are mature enough that like I'm a chairman and I can, you know, there's a great team and I can make, you know, uh, judgment calls based on, on data rather than hope.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
1: Um, (laughs) And as no, the a, reason as I ask
2: is that, is that the skill set to do those two things is often in different people. It's it's unusual to see it combined in the same person. You, usually, you have someone who's empathetic and welfare focused doing the charities, and somebody who's monetarily focused and, and financially focused doing the startups.
1: Yeah, I, I've always found that the wrong kind of distinction. Um, you know, when I looked at my life. Um, in the 90s, actually, you know, around the time of Davenant taking off, I realized uh, that a life without purpose wasn't fulfilling. And I also realized, you know, through lots of conversations and mentoring and and mentorship and all the rest of it, that um, a purpose isn't something you just stumble upon easily. Like if you just wait to stumble on your purpose in life, good luck. Yeah, you know, there's a lucky few that do, but really, that's, that's like winning the lottery only far less likely. Uh, so, but, but all of this purpose stuff, it's all just language. You know, it's all, it's all a story that you tell that, that fulfills you or not. And so you can design a purpose and I designed mine. My purpose in life is a world that works for all living things. And I designed that back in the 90s. And I said, okay, if that's my purpose that's what I designed, then how do I best fill that? And the answer is obvious. If you want to make a big impact, you want to get some serious cash behind you, mm. you know? Uh, and I actually made a pledge to the Hunger Project back then before I made any money at all. I had like 30 grand in debt. My wife had introduced me to this project. You know, she pledged five grand. I pledged 50 grand and got my purpose in life straight and then set out about earning the money to make that happen. Uh, sold my first little business, delivered a hundred grand of the proceeds of that to the Hunger Project within about a year and said, right, if I can do that, let's keep going. And so uh, I think there are other people out there who have purpose and I think they make excellent founders and I think they make excellent investors. And your life is just much more straightforward when you have a purpose that that you've designed and you're living into. And so this dichotomy of oh, there are investor types and there are social welfare types. I actually think that's that's uh, a, a a figment of our collective imaginations or a failure of our imaginations to to you know uh, like like well, I'm not saying it's it's not real. I'm not saying that people don't behave that way, but it's there's no rule about it. It's not genetic. It's not you're not born that way. You don't you know. It's it's choices you make, and and there is actually a, a very effective choice you can make to to be, um, you know, purposeful, and yet also develop wealth and 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 uh, you know a team and and uh, resources to fulfil on that.
2: Yeah, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a good answer. Um, I've, I've just been involved in the boards of some charities before where the person with the money seen as being the fundraiser rather than being anything else really. And that's, I found that frustrating with the charities I've been involved in.
1: Yeah. uh, Like, like I've been involved in a lot of charities. I sit on, on several boards, you know, both my own and and others. And, uh, you know, this idea that if you are somehow involved in money, you, you have no soul or you're just trying to make (laughs) up for your guilt or, you know, (laughs) any of these things. It's, it's it's frankly offensive, and and actually, you know, I see a lot of I see a lot of startups and a lot of charities both that are just disasters. Uh, mm-hmm. It's because people aren't compassionate. You know, you, you would expect that if somebody is purporting to support a charitable cause and that's what they're dedicating themselves to, that they would also have compassion. Um, but I actually, I've encountered a lot of the the opposite in the in the charitable space and and yeah uh yeah i just don't stick around when 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 people are like that that's just not it's not okay fortunately uh you know it is possible to choose who you work with
2: yeah so so i guess leading on from that then uh it's always it's always been a question of mine for people like you is uh, you must get lots of deal flow across your desk Mm-hmm. I mean I'm assuming that the people who are involved in the startups or charities who are coming to you for funding is an important criteria but but what kind of ratio um, of investment to pass would you have with the with the, the people who picked you
1: so we would get to our accelerator programs counting every kind i guess we get about 5000 applicants a year even in covid i don't think it's been that much smaller and we would take uh, you know if i were, if i'm t- looking at sosv and social tech trust uh combined we'd probably take 120 companies a year charities and companies that's,
2: that's a lot a lot of uh, kissing frogs isn't it really i mean it, it's sort of a bit like a bit like the uh, stock market investing you've got thousands and thousands of companies to look at we're trying to invest in a handful so, you know, what kind of things, aside from a good team, what kind of things do you look at to, to whittle that number down?
1: So the, the, the number one thing that, that we try and look at is, is timing. You know, uh, uh, like, have they got a shot at getting to scale? Uh, you know, is the time right for that? Because timing is much more important than team, actually. You know, statistically, timing is the thing that, the, 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 that marks you as a success or not when you're starting something. Um, team is next. Uh, we, don't in, we don't invest or donate. Not, neither the Social Trek Trust nor SOSV will invest or donate into a single founder. Not because it's impossible for a single founder to make it. It is possible. It's just super unlikely. Um, there's just so much work to do at a startup that a single founder is going to get destroyed um, most of the time. And, and the, one, the one thing that we tell everybody who, who comes as a team is they have to have a founder vesting agreement. Because, um, you know, without a prenup, which is what a founder investing gr- agreement is, yeah, it, there's a very good chance you're going to lose a founder along the way. There's just one of the people that you thought was great, or that even though they've been friends with you forever, they're just not pulling their weight in compar- comparison to everyone else. And there has to be a way for them to gracefully exit and give that equity that they had to the next person. Um, and founder vesting agreements, or, or actually most of the time don't even get used. The fact that they're there, people know that they actually have to pull their weight <laughs> if they're gonna keep their equity. Mm-hmm. So that, that just makes it all better. Um, you know, you, you the classic story is you hear you hear two partners get together and they have a partner split, the business dies. Found a vesting agreement stops it from happening. Um but yeah, w- w- you know, the it, it is you have to kiss a lot of frogs. We run accelerator programs, uh, you know, at SOSV, and we run, uh, you know, a very extensive support program at S- at Social Tech Trust. Both of those are designed to see what people do with a little bit of money in three months of time. Uh, because you've got to you've got to actually put some fuel in the engine and, and turn it over and see if it actually runs. Um, yeah. And and it's only if you can rev it a few times do you start saying, okay, we'll put some more gas in here. maybe put it in gear and see how far we get, how far we get. So a big part of our investment decisions are made, you know, uniquely because we're, we're the only accelerator VC, um, based on actually living with the the teams for for three months and seeing what they actually do with the cash, how they progress, do they get product market fit, all this sort of stuff. So there's a huge de-risking component in that early stage.
2: Sounds like it's also a little bit uh, agnostic. Like I'm, I'm guessing that the if you give the accelerator funds to a lot of people, you you may or may not be able to predict who comes out the other end using those funds well. Um, so it, would you ever sort of not give funds to someone because you thought their, their idea was just completely wrong? Um, or would you give funds to people and then and let them try and fail?
1: Uh, well, here's the thing you've got that, that big filter at the front, you know, we're only taking the ones that really we, we, we can see a possibility in. So mm-hmm. you go for, you know, 5,000, 5, applicants, you, you know, you've got a hundred to get out or 120 to, to get out. You're only going to select the ones that haven't just got an idea, right? Ideas have no value. You, you, they need to have actually put some effort in already to, to, to get into the accelerator. What the accelerator is about is seeing, Thing, you know, do they keep their promises? What the selection process is about is, you know, is this is this batch crazy or is this something that actually has legs? right <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and you know, I would say yeah, it's not too bad, but we, we we would get about 10% completely batshit crazy applications. Like, like, you know, what? <laughs> Yeah, um, Perpetual okay. motion machines. I I, I I I don't know I don't know what it is that you've been smoking, but I I, I might like some actually. <laughs> <laughs> if you get me what you've been smoking, then at least we'll have a longer conversation.
2: <laughs> so I'm, I'm I'm guessing in that selection process, you have some kind of checklist that you use as well.
1: We actually have a, a it's all our selection processes are online forms, and they're actually quite long online forms with lots of curly questions um, and you know I would guess that there's probably you know possibly 15,000 people actually get to the form and probably f- fail somewhere in the first page <laughs> All right and, and and let's face it if you can't fill out a form if you, if you haven't got the the moxie to fill out a form to get your startup funded probably should apply for a job.
2: Yeah. So when those when those 100, 120 people come through, get their funding, and the three months is up, how, what kind of what kind of number would then get a larger dose of funds from your uh, your ventures?
1: So a significant number. Um, you know, we 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 modeled when we when we set up the model, we said, okay, yeah, well, it's probably thirty percent. Um, That that are going to really get a decent round after, and then there's probably going to be 30% that get something, and then probably a third will just drop dead. Uh, We're actually running more like 80, 90% get that next breath of life, Um, and we have a pretty strict rule. We we follow on um, usually pro rata, occasionally double down, super pro rata um, for the ones that are just like knocking it out of the park. But the one thing that we do do is we we have a huge network of other VC investors who look at our deal flow. So uh, I think we deployed in the last 12 months-ish 60-odd million across our startups in various forms, um, and follow-on investment was just shy of a billion from other mm-hmm. VCs. And it's it's a great way for us to know that we haven't fallen in love with our own children. Um yeah. <laughs> You know that they go out there and they can actually pitch and they can get like one of the top VCs in the world to put in another round, um, and and lead that round, and then we'll just follow on on that terms. And 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 it's it's those big VCs that tend to take the board seats. We just keep observer rights, and they're the ones that are taking them to the next level. And and that's a pretty proven, well-proven model. Those VCs, you know, have been doing that for a long time. In many cases, they've got you know they're on fund 15 or something. You know, they've got pretty good systems for taking that startup to the next level. So we're very happy to partner with all those other big VCs. In fact, you know, it's a real who's who of, um, everything that, that, uh, you know, we've, we, you know, we've, we've had investment in, it's a real who's who of, uh, other VCs that have actually come in alongside us. So
2: we've talked about the startup space. Have you ever, try to adopt your process for the listed space, so for companies that have already listed. It's funny,
1: we actually did have, in one of our accelerators, we have a cross-border internet accelerator, and we actually had a listed entity go through it. <laughs> uh, and, and it worked. <laughs> you know, I, can't, I can't remember the name of the company, it's not, I'm not the general partner in charge there, but uh, it, it has actually happened. Um, and it did work. Uh, you know, I, I think there is something about our network um, that is really powerful. That 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 any company can engage with. That that uh, gives them a boost to their um, sales and their their mm-hmm. you know customers and and their supply chain. Uh, we do a lot of hardware stuff. We do a lot of cross border internet stuff, uh, as well as life sciences. And we have you know just very deep contacts in the supply chains of all these things, um, and in you know in, in distribution and all sorts of other stuff. Um, that's very helpful to the businesses. I I mean, you know, some people would try and call us an incubator, but, but we're accelerators because apart from the team and the timing, the thing that really is important for the founders or, you know, the the company to get is just this massive sense of urgency. Um, And so like going to one of our programs is not, uh, you know a, 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 a greenhouse where we nurture this little seedling to grow. It's a fire hose and survival of the fittest and uh, you know you just you just get up to that sort of speed and then success is really helped by that sense of urgency. In fact, timing is too. you know if you can get out to market faster, if you can get your supply chain in order quicker, you know then if you're getting close to when the market is perfect, you're already there to just sweep that. Uh, if you if you're if you're still navel gazing about you know issues and you and and the and you know the the market passes you by, you know, you you sit there on your surfboard watching that beautiful wave just disappear into the into the distance, right? And so for us, it's a lot of paddling faster.
2: <laughs> could be could be stuck filling out the form. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Fill out the um, so, today. <laughs> yeah.
2: So, what what kind of track record does your fund have?
1: So we're on fund four, um, and we haven't got a ton of exits yet, but we have some pretty decent returns. So you know, the, the IRRs in the thirties, a, a few really decent exits. Uh, you know, we started we we started this just. I think uh, the very first accelerator started in 2011 and the accelerator component of this, which is now a hundred percent of the focus of our business or in you know, 95 or something, uh, you know, it's going really well. Uh, but we haven't got the unicorn exits yet, but we have unicorns. Like we have some decent, really amazing companies. So it's going better than I could have possibly expected. Like we, when we modeled it, we thought we would have this huge J curve. None of our funds has a J curve. They're all just are they, trending up.
2: Are these are these funds that are open to outside investors or do you raise your money from investment banks
0: or how does that work?
1: So we have, uh, you know, the, the typical thing you need qualified investors. So that it's usually limited partnerships that invest, limited partners that invest in us. We have quite a lot of corporate limited partners. Uh, we did do something unusual, though. We we went to Davy Stockbrokers in Ireland, and they created a, a a syndicatable product for just normal investors, like just everyday people. And we got about sixteen million into Fund Four um, from Davy, and it's doing really well. So I think they're going to be pretty happy with with the returns over time. You've got to know though that it's a very long term quite illiquid investment you know because yeah. you're right you know you we, we invest in super early stage startups uh, when are they going to exit after the uh, after that investment uh, seven years <laughs> no, eight <laughs> like you've got the the thing that you're capturing with startup is the the, the fastest possible growth you know the, if you've got a if you've got a billion dollar company it's very unlikely that they're going to grow 10x in two years mm-hmm. you're yeah. at a startup it's mandatory that they grow 10x in six months
2: yeah right um so so given that uh how do you allocate your funds across all all different companies it's 100 coming through your accelerator program uh per annum you've been going for nine years um are you giving more to the ones at the start more towards ones at the end are you trying to pick winners along the way or does everyone just get uh, an equal amount
1: so at the accelerator stage, everyone gets the same deal um, in each accelerator. Now, the accelerators are different. Like if you're a hardware company, you get different money than if you're a, a biotech company than if you're a software company, because frankly, you have different capital requirements. You know, biotech mm-hmm. is going to need a lot more cash, you know, at certain stages. And that, that means that the, the accelerators are all tuned to the kinds of startups they do. Uh, we're kind of unique in that our accelerators are, are all vertical. So you, you're with companies that are in at least the same industry as you, um, you know, or the same, the, you know, the, the same type of company as you, uh, which is important. Roughly 25% of all our cash goes in at the accelerator stage. And then you know another 25% odd is in double downs. So ones that we're going like, okay, not just following on, we're re- really taking super prorata. We're, we're, these, are, these are kicking ass. And then the rest is reserved for for later stage follow-ons. Uh, we would generally tap out at a 2 million check size, something like that. We have gone a little bit bigger. We have gone into bigger rounds and later rounds because they're just amazing. Um, but, you know, we are capital constrained towards the very latest, round, late stage rounds.
2: Yeah, so it's good to know. So is is there any math behind that process or is it just simply that you had this... 100, you know, you had 5,000 applications, chose 150, have a certain fund to allocate, you're doing it equally or do you adopt oh, no, sort we, of allocation?
1: We, we built a model and then and then we, we actually filled the model with reality. So, you, you know, for, for nine years, we've been running accelerators and we've gotten better and better at it. I mean, the first right. Rebel Bio batch, the, you know, uh, the perfect day was a part, I, you know, I think we, we were giving like 30 grand in, in the accelerator. We're now giving more like 250 in the accelerator we just found there's there's you know there's a certain sweet spot where a company has achieved a certain amount and they need a certain amount of cash to get to that next funding round. so it's been very carefully iterated and tuned
0: right okay so I'm just keeping an eye on the clock guys. Tony, I think um might be time to move to, to some of the questions I had about how you've how someone like Bill who's got a long track record as uh, successful tech entrepreneur would think about looking at some tech companies. So I, I do you keep uh, your eye on what's happening in Australia in this space bill or have you moved on?
1: Uh, I, I honestly could say I don't really keep an eye on tech in Australia. Uh, but I, I, I do have a fairly good idea of of what we look at in terms of how we value companies. Sure. So um I doubt it's very, very different to what you're doing though.
0: <laughs> well, I'd love to talk about some of the indicators, but I mean, the first thing I was going to say is that the the tech space here has obviously matured a lot since you left our fine shores. Uh, we've got you yep. know, a company like Atlassian that's taken over the world. You know, One of the hot tech yep. stocks here at the moment is Afterpay. That's one of the leaders in this buy now, pay later space. And when we're running them through Tony's uh, checklist to try and figure out what we think they're worth and what we want to pay for them, when we look at these companies where their price to earnings is massive, they're losing money, they're growing fast, but they're losing money. And particularly in something like, okay, uh, we'll just take Afterpay as an example, huge growth, huge promise, lots of hype. but the uh, hurdles to competitive entry into the space, particularly from the visas and the Mastercards and the Apple Pays and PayPal's and that sort of thing, seem rather uh, significant. So we really struggle to volume. Yet you know the in, the investors in Australia are all over them. Their, pri- their share price in the last, I think even their share price since the COVID bottom to today is up like. Two or three hundred percent, just since since like April.
2: Oh, it's more than that, is it? Oh yeah, it's gone. I think think the low was about fourteen bucks, and it's now worth
0: about eighty. Eighty, right? It got down that low. I didn't remember that. So, um, you know, it it seems very difficult for us to figure out which of these companies are going to be around long term. How do you know which ones will be around? five years from now or which ones might meet their demise a year from now and how do you value them? So can you walk us through some of the things you would look at if you were thinking about investing in a tech stock, a high growth tech stock like that?
1: Sure. I mean, the fundamental concern I have with something that's super high gross and losing money uh, is, is it going to, is it going to implode? And there are a lot of signals that you can that you can winkle out um a extraordinarily bad customer service is a really good signal um because it means that while they while they're uh, you know getting growth they're not going to keep their customers um, i think that if you look at how they're funding themselves you know what what are what what is the capital requirement going to be if you just take the growth and, and model it out what's that next capital hurdle going to be um, we had this case in Germany, you know, their their you know, most promising tech stock ever, you know, wirecard. Yeah. You know, a lot of people were, were starting to doubt that just based on the metric of where are they going to get the cash to keep doing that? And it turned out they didn't have it. They just made it up. <laughs> right. I, I think that's another thing that you look at, uh, try and find out where their banking relationships are. You know, it, it, it makes no sense to bank, a German company in the Philippines. Like <laughs> what? Um, you know, I, I look at I look at uh, a uh, a company like Stripe in Ireland. Very straightforward, super transparent, great customer service, lots of growth. You know, lost money for a while and then and then turned positive. Yeah, well, I love all those sorts of things. I don't just I simply just don't believe in complexity. Uh so you know when I see somebody saying, oh, you know, this is great growth, but there's all this complex stuff that they're doing. Uh hello, uh anyone remember credit default swaps? <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I like simple, transparent, and you know good customer service. That was very basic stuff. You know, you you're you're there's got to be a real reason for it to grow and if that real if, if 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 it's not real if it's not if it's too complex it's it's likely not real um you know in biotech we had theranos um as mm-hmm. as as this amazing disaster and it's interesting to note that no investors in theranos had biotech backgrounds like none mm-hmm. they didn't get any high-end you know like like they approach people like us with, with biotech you know chops and, and we were like okay so tell, tell us how it works oh no no that's a big secret okay it's too complicated <laughs> for us to understand and we've got like three phds in the room oh yes yes uh, okay thanks very much bye <laughs> mm. you know um it's the same thing here To like y- y- it's not that hard to find out who uh were the initial investors and, and what experience they had. And, and you know, did they have half a brain? Had they done it before? You, you know, all these sorts of little bits of detective work can give you a very, very good insight into, is this thing real or not? Because when you have hyper growth, that's your biggest fear, is that it's just not real. You know, the, the, these days, because of the way the algorithms work, it's almost impossible to have something go viral without paying for it. And so massive growth is usually attributed to a certain amount of marketing spend. It's very easy to analyze marketing spend and just see, Hey, is this a realistic idea? Like if you just go and look at the keywords they buy and you look at the price of the keywords and just graph that over time, if those keywords are are doubling in price every six months, really, this is going to be sustainable. Is it really, really? Because, like a lot of these hypergrowth things, they're, they're spending, you know, half their budget on on actually, you know, advertising and, and and buying keywords and you know social proof and influences. and that means when they pour all that cash into the market, that means all those things get more expensive. Not less.
2: And of course, the 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 flip side to that argument is they try and tell you that the uh, because of the social network effect. The more customers they can bring in, at uh, on the increment, um, it just flows through to the bottom line. Yeah. But of course, how many flow through when they stop spending all that money on marketing?
1: Yeah, and and loyalty is very very thin. And if you've got shitty customer service, what network effect? Yeah, like mm. you know, like we have seen too big to fail social networks. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. anyone mm-hmm. remember MySpace? Mm. Mm right if what, you if, um, if what, you had you, about, like I, myspace was poster child for network effect an absolute poster child uh-huh. but when it was taken uh-huh. over they dropped the ball on everything that was important to the platform and they just tried to commercialize uh-huh. it very quickly rupert Murdoch's biggest uh-huh. mistake he admits that
2: <laughs> what about uh if you see key people leave the company like the cfo resigns for example
1: um i'm always worried about a cfo resigning um, <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, just because they're like they should really know where all the bodies are buried. So, like, if they resign, it's like, uh, what just went wrong? Um, I'm reassured if another CFO takes over who's actually got a lot more stature and 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 who's done it before um, and has a track record of honest exits and things like that. You know, who replaces them is is very important in that transaction. I'd be more concerned if the CTO resigns. You know, if, the, if if the engineers aren't actually sticking with the company, that is a very good early sign of disaster.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. One of the things that Tony and I talk about a lot, Bill, and and you know we've all been around since the late nineties. Tony, by the way, uh, set up Coles Coles Myer's first online thing, Myer Online. Was it oh, what yeah. Coles uh, My, the-
2: My Direct? My, My Direct. direct. Yeah, yeah. I took it over. Yeah. yeah You'll yeah. remember I took that. It into the there. online space. Right. Was a
0: cataloger. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I was a Aussie Mail and then Microsoft in the late 90s, and you were doing your startup thing. So we were all around during the dot com era. And you know, we we know that there were thousands and thousands of companies that were gonna take over the world, and a few ended up as Amazon and eBay and PayPal, and but many fell along the way. Is there any way that you've seen over the years of Reliably discerning uh, which ones are going to succeed and which aren't, apart from the, the, the sort of factors that you've already mentioned,
1: well, I think that there is a level of of uh, hypergrowth that is indicative of getting to a fair size um, and then being successful. The problem is that if you buy too far into the growth, you're buying a fiction in most cases. So, like, people who invested in Neantic after Pokemon Go took off were thinking about, you know, valuations that were in line with, okay, that graph just keeps going on forever. But two iterations of that graph and the entire planet is playing that game. And that's just not possible, right? You know, nearly everything is a bell curve, not, not an asymptotic chart. Mm. So, like, you know, you've got to predict where you are on the belt with some relative uh, intelligence. And it doesn't take too much math to figure out how big that market really could be. And it's almost inevitably smaller than you imagine. Um, so anyone, any, any company that has hyper growth and, and is, is saying that it's going to be, that's going to continue on for 10 years, I have my deepest concerns about because they're not doing the math.
2: And of course, capitalism also teaches us that if they're getting hypergrowth in the market, it gets traded away by competition as well.
1: To some degree, but I mean, you know, one of the things that network effects really do do is winner takes it all. Um, so you, you have a number one and a number two, and that's about it. Uh, and we, we've seen that for a while. Um, you know, like who is Amazon's competitor again?
2: Mm. Yeah, well, Microsoft Cloud probably.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's cloud yeah. services. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. No good point. But I guess, um, I guess you know, Cameron made a good point. The best time to buy, to work out who was going to survive and to buy them cheaply, was after the was two thousand and one after the dot com crash. And, uh, uh, I, I you can think. buy the, Amazon for uh, fifteen bucks a share. There.
1: I think the global financial crisis was also a good time to buy.
2: You know, mm-hmm. um, I
1: think we're going to see a good time to buy for some things very shortly, mm. you know, given what's happened with COVID. Yeah. You know, mm. Like, like, like the stock market is not reflecting reality right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the, the real economy is what contracted by a third and stock prices are still up. Uh, hello. What? Yeah. Uh, I, I think one, one other thing, by the way, just on valuing hypergrowth things, you know, there are there's stuff that you're going to keep using, like while there's competition for zoom, It's still very, very good and people are still going to keep using it for a while. But there are things that are out there that are even more, uh, you know, have more utility. Like Amazon just has a ton of utility. Apple has a ton of utility. They're, you know, they're not that fragile to competition. Whereas things like Pokemon Mm -hmm. Go, you know, games move on. Like people move on from games. Games can be super exciting for a period of time and then people move on. and so if you're looking at a stock and it's and and it's techie and people you know incorporate it into their daily life, that's a much more potent signal than people just sort of doing it fickly for a here and there.
0: And outside of your funds, do you invest in the public markets yourself, or do you just invest in the businesses you're involved in? I tend
1: to put my money where it looks like it's going to get the best return. Um, and so I, I would say that I'm, I'm pretty well exposed to our funds. <laughs> um, yeah, Because you, you know, unlike a normal VC where you might have 10, 10 bets, you know, three or four bets a year, 10 bets per fund. You know, we, we've got like hundreds of bets per fund. And so there's a huge diversity in, 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 you know, like it's really interest been really interesting to get live through COVID with uh, you know, thousand plus startups. You know, because uh, right, they right. were all affected at the same time by the same thing, which meant that my <laughs> workload went through the frickin' roof and still is. It, there's just been a huge diversity in how companies have reacted and and, and how it's affected them some of them are absolutely booming right now, like just beyond credibility booming, but really s- significantly doing it. And others are like on the edge of shutting up shop. Um, and, mm. you know, our overall performance is strong. So, yeah, I think if a crisis like this, this hits your fund um, and your performance is still good and, and, you, and you you see that, that, that there is strength in diversity, that's a pretty good... Pretty good basket to have invested, and I used to invest in the stock market um, quite a bit, but I just found the amount of research that I had to do was too much. Like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and I didn't enjoy that. <laughs> Whereas sitting, you know, talking to a founder and 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 passing on a piece of wisdom that I've learned the hard way, and having them turn that into you know another you know three x growth, uh, that is really exciting. And it both supports my, my investment hypothesis, and it's fun.
0: Mm,
2: mm. Interesting, interesting point you make there about diversity. So has it ever crossed your mind, that, you know, or have you ever sort of dreamt of being able to whittle down your portfolio of startups to the ones that, that really are going to be unicorns?
1: So we, we, that, that's kind of an automatic process in a way. Um, because you know they're, they're going to either keep raising funds or not, and and if they can't keep raising funds, we're not going to be uh, bailing them out too much. Like we have a, a certain amount of reserve that's there for crises, but really, you know, the unicorns do do. <laughs> you know, it is up to them to be unicorns, and they and they do self-select, if you see what I mean. Um, so yeah. yeah, you know, we balance our time. Um, a long time ago, I was taught a lesson by uh, a, you know, a sales guru, and he said, "Listen, if you're going to, if you've got a sales force and it's it's got you know 20 people in it, and you have five top performers, and you have the rest, invest all your love, care, and attention, and training, and, and, and everything in rewarding those five top performers and improve their abilities, because if your five top performers can improve by just two percent." They're gonna. It's going to be more than the other fifteen improving hundred percent.
0: So in Glengarry, Glen Ross, you give the time and attention to Al Pacino, (laughs) not to uh, Jack Jack Lemmon. Exactly. And
1: and 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 it's and and and, you know if one of them, you know, if Jack Lemmon turned around and and made it work, of course he gets into the time and attention space again.
0: Yeah. Mm Well, Bill, I I know that you've got uh, back-to-back stuff on today, so um, I don't want to overstay our welcome. I did want to thank you for taking time out to chat uh, and share some of your insights with us. Now, we've got quite a lot of well-heeled listeners to the show. Mm -hmm. Uh, If there was one of your projects that you would urge them to go and give some attention to, which one would it be?
1: It's too hard to choose, uh, but what I can, what they can do, the, the beauty of what we do is we are always looking for co-investors. We're, we're very open to people coming into rounds, um, you know, and we're totally transparent. So if you go to sosv.com and you click on portfolio, you can actually scan the entire portfolio. It will tell you which companies are raising, which aren't. And there's a checkout system. You can actually fill a basket with companies, and you can check out, and you'll get introductions from the general partners to those companies.
0: Great. Right. And WeForest, if they want to buy some trees, is that still WeForest.org?
1: It certainly is. And uh, if you just if you just go into our projects, there are quite a few crowdfunding campaigns for different forests, and you can just invest in one of those. Um, if you're a corporate, you can buy trees in bulk. And if you if you go to our partner page, you'll see a who's who of corporates that actually uh, make up the majority of our, our tree planting. And, and, uh, we got some very big deals about to go down and with we forest, I'm very happy. You know, I'm looking forward to being able to actually jump on a plane and visit mum and dad in Melbourne again. Yeah. You know, last, last year, <laughs> yeah, well, last year I went to Japan and actually took me, you know, uh, 12 days. And seven of those were on the train, um, going across the, oh to Vladivostok and oh my God, the tundra. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mm. it, it, I don't think there was a straight rail on that journey, but the thing that did impress me was the entire line was from from London to Vladivostok is electrified.
0: Wow! Was there any were there any murders on the uh, train that you had to solve before you got to the other end?
1: Uh, you know the the Trans Siberian is one of the safest, nicest trains. It was a little boring. I, I actually managed to read the entirety of War and Peace on the way across. <laughs> oh. And I read Anna Karenina on the way back.
0: Don't believe anything he says about Napoleon. It's all all bullshit. <laughs> you know, don't believe any of that. Tolstoy cannot be taken as a credible historian when it comes to Napoleonic history. All right, Bill. Well, uh, I know you'll definitely uh, probably move a few trees. And uh, thanks again, mate. Really no, great to no see thanks, your face Garrett. and hear your voice. Yeah, good to see what, you, what you're up to.
2: Yeah, great. And uh, thanks. So, when well. you come to Melbourne, drop into Brisbane and Sydney and catch up with us. Uh, so, I, I de- yeah, I definitely Actually, will.
0: Actually, I was going to say we're we're all looking forward to the day when we can go back to, to Melbourne. Melbourne. It's yeah. been locked down for six months, and <laughs> yeah. we can't get in or out. But uh, how are you? Your parents okay there? they're, yeah, they're staying are,
1: safe. They're they're all right. Mum's missing golf, like seriously missing it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah. so is Tony. Yeah. Yeah. He's Cape. She's got a property at Cape Shank, and he can't get oh, down there to play. Oh, I
1: love Cape Shank. We, we, we. My, my uncle's house was in Flinders for, for years and years and years.
2: Lovely, yeah. Yeah, great place. We go for,
1: there for coffee. I, I live in West Cork, yeah. which is just like Flinders. It's like like I live out in the on on the coast. Uh, with a little farm right by the sea. Uh, it's it's just very reminiscent. The only difference is we don't get summer. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> sounds beautiful you should build a golf course there
1: uh, i actually am a member of the old head of Kinsale. look that okay. up Oldhead.ie. bucket list course really oh yeah man
0: don't uh don't tempt him bill it's, it's, he'll be yeah. there as soon as uh, the listen, flights open as
1: soon, as soon as you come i'm 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 here to, to be your host man just come on out um oldhead.ie, it's on an isthmus that's a oh wow it's, okay it's, it's in the Atlantic in the in the Atlantic it literally it's an isthmus <laughs> in the Atlantic it is fantastic
2: oh, we play, right. we played some good courses there last year but uh, we didn't get down to uh, the coast past
0: Cork
1: it's been it's been rated by Lynx Magazine as number one Links course in the world a couple of times really wow yeah. so come on out I'll I'll no, I'll, you show, it. I'll show Trump you. doesn't own it ha, actually I will tell you a lovely story about that but I've really got to go but. Um, Trump actually flew out and played it uh you know be, before the presidential days, right and John O'Connor, who's the guy who founded the course, God rest him um was there uh, and Trump came up to him and said, "Hey, listen, I hear you own this thing And, you know this is this is fantastic you know I, I want to buy it from you, um you know I've got all the finance, everything. we'll call it Trump international old head, you know I can put a big waterfall in there and all this stuff." And John O'Connor literally turned around in front of everyone at the top of his voice said, I didn't put 30 years of my life into building this to sell it to the likes of ye. <laughs>
2: nice. Good Buy good. that man a beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, right. Right. It just made us all go. All right. yes, Thanks, Bill. Golf course. <laughs> yeah, sounds great.
0: All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Bill. Bye. Have a good day, buddy. Yeah, Bye. Bye.